Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bonepercks, and welcome back to my favorite time of the week. And as part of the Inspiring Leadership series, I am very fortunate to have Guy Waits. Guy is a clipper skipper. He is the skipper of the um, round the world race. Uh, it was uh, 2019 to 2020. Currently it's in suspension because of the global pandemic, but he is a phenomenal guy. And when it's ready to start again, uh, which we hope in February 2021. He'll be back with his team of 60 uh, going on the rest of the legs. He's also going to be taking part in the global, global <laughs> Golden Globe, that's a, a tongue twister here, single-handed round the world race in 2022. Phenomenal guy, done many different things. Over to you, Guy. Like, great to have you on the programme. Good afternoon, Jonathan. Nice to be here. Thank you. And do tell us a bit about your... Um, your sort of vocation, jobs, and vocation again. I found that a very interesting conversation when we chatted. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, yeah, life started for me at a very early age in terms of a working career and very much of a vocation uh, as a professional photographer. And um, it, working uh, self-employed, so working as a, a, often as a team of one, but going into a lot of corporates, uh, large corporates, national, international, uh, shooting pictures for them. Uh, saw a bit of a, a fly of the wall, uh, fly on the wall view of, of how businesses work, and and often leaving those businesses glad that I was I was doing a following a vocation and uh, not such a high powered career as as many people choose. Um, and then I moved into uh, Royal Mail for several years as a delivery line manager, and uh, saw an awful lot of what I didn't want to see. Uh, it was quite ironic that I found myself moving from a vocation uh, for many years, uh, becoming slightly disillusioned with photography and the, the move with technology into digital, and then actually uh, working uh, basically in a job, which I never thought I would do. Um, I thought photography was my whole life. And then uh, after several years of Royal Mail, realizing that that really was not for me, and I needed to go back to a vocational-based life, and that's when sailing came in after all those years of sailing. Uh, I'm now, as you say, a, a skipper in the clip around the world race. Yeah. And leadership is the theme here, inspiring leadership. And you were recommended to us by uh, Lieutenant General James Bashel, an old friend yes. who's appeared uh, on this series twice uh, because he has some very insightful things to share. But he said, you need to get Guy Waits on the series. He's, he's got some amazing stories. I mean, you sailed single-handedly four times across the Atlantic. You've achieved some amazing things in your life, and yet you're still humble, and I really admire that about you. That's part of the theme of Thank you. you are inspiring. Yeah. So congratulations on that. Um, what, have, what have been um, some of the people who've inspired you? And um, from childhood, if you pick a couple of people, childhood and now today, who, who inspires you? Well, it's interesting because the, um, the people who've always inspired me in life have been the, the lone adventurers, um, the, uh, from the astronauts to the mountaineers 
to the sailors. And when you think about sailing and solo sailing, you have to think of Sir Robin Knox Johnston. So there's, a, there's an interesting circle of events there that uh, Sir Robin was the first person to sail single-handed non-stop around the world. A challenge that back then we were, we were just about putting man on the moon at that time of, of, uh, in history. And, uh, and here he was doing something that people thought could, could not be done. He thought a person would go crazy if they spent that much time on their own in that much isolation. Uh, and he's now the founder of the Clipper Around the World race and I'm one of his skippers. Uh, looking forward to the Golden Globe race myself in in two years' time. So there's there's an interesting story there. Yeah, yeah and and tell pe- people who are listening. Some of them may not know the the phenomenal effort that's involved in the clip around the world race. I mean, you as a skipper have a team of sixty, and, yeah. and just give us an indication of just what a challenge it is. And these men and women who come from different jobs around the world giving up their day job for a period of time to yes. do a really huge challenge and ordeal. Scary, sometimes people die or get injured. or yes. It's a real big challenge, isn't it? Just tell us a bit about it because some won't know about yeah. it. It's a huge challenge. First of all, the Dare to Lead team is, uh, consists of just over 60 individuals from 14 different nationalities, We've got an age range of 18 to 74, I think is the oldest crew member. And they come from all sorts of backgrounds. Um, Very uh, incredibly interesting and often very successful group of individuals who are looking for something just a little bit different in life. And they certainly get it with a clip around the world race. Um, To be fair to them and and not to be unkind in any way, some of them are actually experienced sailors, but none of them have ever gone across an ocean uh, and they, so they really don't know what they're letting themselves in for, not truly. And it's a massive challenge. It's a challenge even for me, let alone for them with, with little or no experience at all of sailing. But we give them the training that they need. And uh, we take, as I say, 60 people and put them into, into a team of 20 people on the boat. So we have people getting on and off the boat all the way around the world. And, uh, and setting... Uh, goals and behaviors to achieve those goals you know what what do we really want out of this race as a team is actually one of the one of the fundamentals and I think has led to dare to lead success so far yeah and it's it's always very interesting to me I've known a number of people who've done it my father was a naval officer and loved sailing and I've done a bit of sailing I was lucky enough as a young boy to um, go up to Cape Roth with John Ridgway and wow. he took us out on one of his huge tall ships right out at Cape Roth. It was scary as yes. hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a young lad, 14 or something, strapped in on some line as this was, as we were all like this in some yes. school. Yeah. And, uh, but, but yeah, it was a, a great experience. And I have huge admiration for you, firstly, as, as the leader, as the skipper, but also for the different types of men and women who decide to do it. And, if people are listening to this and thinking of taking on such an enormous challenge, and I had a guy the other day who, who's done ultra marathons and, you know, yes. Man, and he's one of four world record holders who ran, I think is it 79 miles from the um, Marble Arch <coughs> to Dover, then swam the 21 miles without a wetsuit across, yes. across the, the uh, English Channel and then cycled 181 miles to the Arc de Triomphe, only getting knocked off his bike a, a mile from the end, but he got back on again and finished it. But yes. that takes phenomenal 
skills. But, but the men and women who you've got, if you were thinking of the kind of person that makes a good team member of your boat, what qualities would make those inspiring team members? They have to be enormously understanding of the people around them, uh, particularly at sea in a, what is a very closed, uh, confined, no way out environment. Uh, the, although the, the yachts are 70 feet long, uh, 70 feet is not a lot of space for 20 people uh, to live together. And so, um, as I say, the, the, the goals and behaviours that we discussed, even before we even sailed together, were fundamental to, to the team keeping together uh, because we all agreed and all had a set of goals that we were all aiming for. And in actual fact, as, as the leader of Dare to Lead, and I'm rather reluctant to take that title, my, my goals for the race are actually probably at the bottom of the pile. It was very much more about the team and not at all about me. So uh, I think uh, humility and understanding and, uh, and a careful management with shared goals and anyone can achieve it. If they put their mind to it, anyone can achieve it. It's uh, ordinary people achieving extraordinary uh, results. And I think it's really interesting, your time as a photographer, going into these big businesses and looking at the good companies and going, they get this right. There's something you could probably feel it, fingertip feel yes. it. Yes, yeah. With a really good company and how mm. people work together well and they were respectful and there was equality and uh, a sense of encouragement for each other. And then some toxic organizations you went into where you would go, I do not want to work it. Thank goodness I don't have to work yeah. in a corporation. Probably the same in a team. When you get a group of people together, very much so. Really bad experiences. So, do you want to just talk about firstly when, whether it's the, the, the ones, firstly the ones you visited? I'm interested as a photographer. What did you see with the really toxic ones? What, 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 what were you picking up that made it so bad? Well, in in actual fact, I ended up working for such an organisation, and uh, it's it's invariably the the older establishments uh, with a uh, where you have a strong manual workforce. And you have this huge divide between the people who do the work and the people who manage them. And uh, those, those are the businesses that are most difficult to work in, I think, and also the most difficult to change. Yeah. It's, a, it, it's a huge problem uh, to, to change a company that is very large in its organization, very set in its ways, uh, not just to modernize, but to actually change the perception that the two groups have of one another. Yeah, uh, and how anything you can do to bring them together is is a step in the right direction. And don't you think um, I'm picking up that in this global pandemic, many companies have had to completely reset their mindset, and and what yes. has taken years before had to happen overnight. Like you can't work from home. You you can't. You're just skiving. You're you're missing off. Then suddenly tomorrow you're working from home, and you may work from home for the next two years. What? Yes. Okay. Um, and then you've got people like British Airways, who are good in some ways, but also heavily unionized and restricted yes. practices and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Suddenly they're having new contracts and everybody's on a new contract. They don't like it. Fine, go. And, and, and I think actually there's many bad things about the pandemic, including the tragic uh, deaths and illnesses of so many. Yeah, of course. I've known a number who've been ill. Um, 
but there may be a brighter side where some of these moribund old organizations with really sort of standardized, you know, jobs worth attitude and them mm. and us may have to break down. What, what do you think? Well, absolutely. And they, they, out of everything, out of everything bad comes something good, doesn't it? And uh, no one would wish a pandemic on anyone. But I'm, I don't doubt for a moment that they will see some huge changes in the way organisations work. We're seeing it already. Uh, my own wife works from home and now, now very much works from home um, with, uh, with meetings, online meetings and webinars. And uh, it's, it will undoubtedly change the way businesses work. And I hope for the better. Yeah. I hope for the better, for sure. Yeah. And, and you met, Julie, um, when you were both at Royal Mail and also yeah. you have a sailing theme. Do you want to say how you met? You, this is your first anniversary around now. So congratulations on being married for a year. So tell, yeah, it, tell us a bit about the two of you. Okay, so um, Julie and I met sailing a few years ago now. Um, it was our first, anniversary, first wedding anniversary on Monday, but we met a few years ago and it was because of sailing. Julie was training at the time as a crew member for the previous Clipper race, the 2017-18 Clipper race, as a crew member aboard the Great Britain boat. And uh, sailing in Leg 8, which is back uh, from New York across the Atlantic to the finish as it was that year in Liverpool. And uh, she came to the local sailing club, Scarborough Yacht Club, uh, where I was sailing myself, and that's how we got. I was born in Scarborough. Scarborough, oh, well, happy, there you are. Happy, happy coincidence. Yeah. So that's how we met, and we met through sailing. And at the time, I was preparing a small boat to sail single-handed across the Atlantic for the third time. And when I returned across the Atlantic uh, in the same boat on the fourth fourth occasion across the Atlantic, that's when uh, we became an item. And a year later, we married. And it was uh, on the build-up to our marriage that, uh, and I was working for Royal Mail at the time as a manager. Julie could see, sense that uh, I, I needed to find a new career. You know, it was time to go, as we said, back to a vocation from a from a job, and uh, and that's when I uh, she supported me enormously and put me into uh, the Clipper world because the Clipper changed. I became a first mate, and that led to me becoming a skipper now. So uh, definitely my biggest supporter. Well, well done and, and congratulations, Ron. Thank uh, you. Coming first mate to, to a, a, skip, a clever skipper. And um, one of the things that um, does mark out these inspiring leaders is their humility and their vulnerability to admit when they got it wrong and when they don't know. Because yeah. as some people say, when a leader that everybody looks to and admires says, I, I don't know. Um, and J James Bashful said that on a, a visit when he was in, I think it was Afghanistan. And, or Iraq, and one of those soldiers said on the note afterwards when he heard him speak on the podcast, you know, he remembers this, that he thought, well, you know, these generals always make out they know everything. And he actually had the honesty to admit he didn't know, which allows other people to admit they don't know. And it yeah. also allows people who are more junior to say, actually, I, I do know, I know how to do this. Great, bring right. it in, come and do it. Um, it's the mistakes that we make. And we were talking before about, uh, like two of the Clipper race, uh, 7,000 yeah. miles, uh, when personally you probably, as a leader, didn't get it right, got it wrong, and were honest yeah. enough to, to reflect on that. What, tell us the story and also what you learned from the mistake that will shape you now to be a better leader yes. when you restart after yeah. the pandemic, when you restart the round-the-world race. 
Okay, so it was, <clears throat> we'd sailed leg one of the race, which was over 6,000 nautical miles all the way down the Atlantic to Punta del Este in Uruguay, in South America. And it was now leg two, and we set out from Uruguay for Cape Town, which is about 4,000 nautical miles. Uh, and it, we dipped into the Southern Ocean as, as far south as 45 degrees south. And uh, we were doing well in the race. And the crew had bonded very well. We'd had very few crew changeovers in, in Punta del Este. So we had a good, a good, strong core of a team. And I felt confident in them. And I was allowing them to sail the boat as much as possible. A sort of step, very much a step back role and allowing them to experience as much as they possibly could, um, which was great for getting their engagement and their contribution. But then the weather turned. Okay. Now, we can expect the weather to turn in the Southern Ocean. That's exactly where we would expect it to happen. But due to one or two other circumstances, it put us in a very compromised situation uh, with, a, with, with regard to our sails and our ability to sail in the bad weather. Um, and at that point, I really should have recognized that they needed more of me alongside them and really right there with them at the, at the sharp end, um, keeping the boat safe and, and getting to Cape Town as soon as we could. And I didn't, I hung back and allowed them to keep sailing the boat. And I think it, I think it damaged the team, actually. It knocked their confidence. And as a result of it, the, the, the real sad part for me is that three members of the team actually left the race early when we arrived in Cape Town. They were supposed to sail legs three and two of them legs three and four. And they actually got off early. So I was disappointed for, for myself, for the team, and for those individuals. Because I felt if I'd really stepped in, when I could have done, it might just have made the difference and they may well have continued. And that's what I really wanted for them more than anything. Yeah, well, thank you for being You're welcome. About that. And there's, there's so many occasions I look back as a leader on things I should have done, didn't yes. do. uh, <clears throat> One leader said to me, what is it, you know, when you're thinking about people, whether they're right or wrong, or whether the situation right, what is it you know now about someone that you'll find out in six weeks time? Yes. And often you in your gut, you sort of know, but for various reasons, you you make a decision that, that turns mm. out not to, not to be right. But but going from learning from our mistakes, the other thing which is very important in a good inspired leader is humour. Being <laughs> able to laugh at themselves, yes. Being uh, able to laugh with their team. So the toxic teams, they all laugh at an individual and humiliate them and make them feel mm. bad. The good teams can laugh at themselves and have a good belly laugh. Here. So in all your sailing, because there's so many leadership lessons from sailing, which is why I've got a, a picture of Sri Lanka behind yes. the beach there, uh, which was a, a photograph I took recently. Um, tell us a couple of stories about fun times or funny times and, and how you could lighten the load when it's really challenging and stressful uh, and have a good laugh together. Yeah, well, keeping your sense of humour is vital, isn't it? Even, even in times of real real difficulty and we've had certainly had plenty of those uh, in the in the latest race uh, around the world now <clears throat> there was a time it was my third crossing of the atlantic single-handed in a in a tiny little boat only 20 feet nine inches long that i'd renovated myself and and prepared for the for the voyage and it was uh, heading across the north atlantic to newport rhode island was that was the intended destination and i'd sailed the northern route across the atlantic via the uh, Newfoundland Grand Banks. And as I sailed underneath the Newfoundland Grand Banks, which incidentally is the area that Titanic was sunk by the iceberg, by the way, um, there was some particularly bad weather. 
and I was sitting in the cockpit trying to control the situation as best I could in this tiny little boat. And although it wasn't very exciting, very, uh, very funny at the time, it's turned into a funny story. A large wave broke behind the boat, uh, turned us sideways and rolled us right over. And so I actually jumped out of the cockpit into the ocean uh, for fear of being trapped underneath an upturned boat. And uh, so there I was laughing at myself, believe it or not, uh, in, in the Atlantic Ocean, tethered to the boat, you know, with a, a safety harness. Uh, but nevertheless, looking looking at my keel sticking up in the air and admiring the fact that there was no weed growing on it. Uh, and I must have done a good job with the anti-fowl for that to be the case. Um, fortunately, the boat righted itself. And within within moments, I was I was back sitting in, in the relative uh, safety of the cockpit. But uh, it's a it's quite an interesting story. It wasn't wasn't so funny at the time, but when I look, reflect upon it now, it it raises a few laughs with it, with the people I have around me. So we yeah. enjoy that story. Real admiration for you. And I think it's, I feel a real um, connection with you. Not, not the, the same, but, but doing a lot of things single-handedly or uh, the endurance kind of people like, you know, I've done mountain marathons and things like this. Right. Okay, with a yes. team or, but often runs and, and, and endurance runs and things like this. And, and even doing the airborne training with James Bashel. It was, a, it was, you had to work as a team, but a lot of time it was, it was a personally whether you passed or failed. Yes. So I'm, I'm really interested in the fact that you have had this admiration for lone adventurers who've been in self-employment. Um, but now you're the captain of a, of a very large team of 60 and you have to pull together this disparate group of people from 14 different languages, all this kind of stuff. Yes. Things that you cannot control. You know, it's almost like you need that stoic philosophy, you know, except what you can control, what you can't control. The weather is certainly one of them. Was it? There's Absolutely. no such thing as bad weather. There's only bad clothing, someone used to say. Yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, what have you done? We talked about toxic teams. What have you done to create a really good team? What tips and advice would you give others? Because you clearly have, and James spoke very highly of you. You would mm. not be talking with me now if he didn't think you were a very yeah. fine example of a, a, a skipper, of a leader, but someone who pulled a team together. What was it that made good teams when you've had good teams? Right. Okay. So when I, when I reflect back on my time that I've spent alone in these adventures that I've had, what I've, I think what I've learned about myself, okay, is actually fundamental to what you bring to a team. Okay. And when, when, you, when you take yourself out of the, the ordinary busy world with all of the distractions and essentially put yourself in isolation, you learn a terrific amount about yourself particularly the negatives, okay? And that, that's a very humbling process. And I think you bring that humility to a team of individuals, okay? You can then see those same traits, even if they're expressed in different ways, you can see those same traits expressed in others and help them with it, okay? And you can also, it's all part of the, uh, the honesty and the ownership of not being able to do things and asking for help from the team around you so that they feel valued and, and actually make a bigger input as part of the team because they know they're doing something for you or doing something for the team that you can't do yourself. And it, it, it makes a huge difference that you've got everyone's buy-in. And if you're an old school leader where you're the person at the front and it's do as I say, uh, not as I do, um, you'll, you'll lose people very quickly 
when you give people ownership and responsibility, they're infused, they're engaged, you know, it's, it's, it's a perfect team environment. Yeah, no, that, that rings very true for me with some of the, the leaders <laughs> that I coached and the good ones and the, the ones who, who have more challenging characteristics, which others find more difficult. Yes. And it's when you have, as you say, that the know-it-alls who, who think they're, uh, as the very good book, Leadership is Language by Admiral David Marquet, the Submariner, which I, I would recommend. Is a good right, thank you. To get on board. Yeah. Um, he talks about some people have this prove mindset rather than improve. So they have to prove they are right. Yes. And, and, the, and, and with that prove mindset comes a be good, that you are good, and, and no one should challenge that you're good. Yes. As opposed to the mindset which comes with the improve uh, view of life, which is get better, improve and get better, that you are yes. the imperfect leader. And, and I think that's very powerful. And it sounds like when, when you pull together a team, you, you need that kind of mindset in your team of 60. When you're starting to meet people, new crew members, people who want to join, they're coming perhaps to be interviewed by you to see if they should be on board. Can you spot quite early on some characteristics in the way people speak, the way they carry themselves that make you know this will be a good member of the team and other attributes which you go, no, and that you probably turn people down because they, it came out? What would you say? I think it's very, I think it's almost natural to have that opinion of people when we first meet them, that, that face value. Um, and I've, I've learned so many times uh, that you can be so wrong in your opinion of people on, on first meeting them. You yeah. know, the, the saying, walk a mile in a person's shoes before you judge them, couldn't be more true. And for every, for every character and for every type of person, if there is such a thing, okay, there's a role for them somewhere in the team. And if you, if you step back and allow people to express themselves naturally, you know, to resonate to whatever role suits them, then you get the best out of them, you get the best out of the person, and you get the best output from the team as well. And so you find there's a, I talked about this when we, when we first discussed the, um, the dare to lead goals and behaviors. We, we talked about how people naturally gravitate to their, to their position, uh, dependent on how confident they were, okay? Or perhaps not confident, maybe even fearful, okay? And allowing people the opportunity to explore those fears uh, in a, a relatively safe environment was what was actually going to develop them as a person and in, improve the team as a whole. Yeah, and, and if it's not too awkward to say, you know, people spend a lot of money to be on uh, the crew of one yes, of them. Can you say how much it is that people have to commit to, to take part, or is this something you'd rather not discuss? I'm, I'm no, just... I don't mind at all. It's, um, if, if you want to go all the way around the world, it's £50,000. Wow. wow. Yeah. But if you want to do a leg, say, for example? A leg, then it's, then it's several thousands of pounds. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's not, uh, it's, it's not a, a, a small undertaking. And do no. you, find, you, you mentioned you've got all sorts of people um, achieved lots of things in their own, in their own rights. But have you had some people from poorer backgrounds with, with uh, less opportunities in life who've been given the chance to take part in it and it's been the making of them? Well, in actual fact, the, the Dare to Lead team, the very foundation of the Dare to Lead team, uh, was based around a project in South Africa that gave opportunities to people who otherwise would have not 
had anything like that kind of experience in their life. And the whole purpose of it was to give them a taste of something different in the hope that they could go beyond uh, when they return to their communities and their families and their employment, what have you. And that's very much still now the, the ethos behind the Dare to Lead team, that you take these individuals from so many different places uh, uh, in the world and, and individual places and spaces. And when they experience what they experience as, as part of working as a team in a remote environment, in, in very challenging circumstances, that what they grow and learn, they then take back to their families, to their communities and to their businesses, their work projects. And, and it, it influences uh, not just them, it touches other people th that they touch in their lives. Yeah. And, and what, what happens? They get sort of sponsorship? Does someone else back them? Or how can the, the, the poorer, less uh, wealthy ones take part in this or get nominated? Uh, you, we do have people who've, who've managed to raise sponsorship, but they've done so on a very personal level. Uh, I, know, I know one or two people who've taken part in previous races have then thought, I'd like to sponsor someone to do this who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford it. In yeah. fact, the, the man behind Dare to Lead, uh, Dirk himself, was a round-the-world crew member in, the, uh, in one of the early races, and that's what gave him the inspiration. So, you know, what goes around? So Yeah. And I do think that endurance and challenging times, and crikey, you know, almost the around the world race epitomizes what's going on now with the global pandemic. This is unprecedented times with challenges people do not know quite how to, to cope with. But it's nothing like being in the middle of an ocean in a horrendous storm and your ship being thrown around, everybody being scared and stuff. So there's, there's different qualities, but don't you think it brings to the fore both the finest qualities of human nature, as well as at times some of the most selfish aspects as people look after themselves. Do you want to just describe, you don't need to name anybody, but if you could think of characters you know, how where you saw them do some really fine things at sea, and other sad occasions where individuals, through perhaps fear or whatever, were a little bit selfish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, it goes back to what we were saying a moment ago, um, with regard to you know not judging a person until you've walked a mile in their shoes, you find some of some of the people that you would think would would struggle the most really step up to the plate and and do the work of two or three people, and other people who who would have given you the impression that they were very confident and capable, uh, successful people, um, capable of uh, meeting challenge, were actually found themselves actually in a very a very dark scared place. Um, and it, it, the wonderful thing about the ocean, okay, is that it's a great leveler of people. Yeah. And it really finds you out. Mm. If you've got any dark corners, you know, it, it really drills into them. And as I say, it, uh, it, it levels the playing field enormously. And that was one of the wonderful things we've seen, because as I say, with 60 plus people from all these different backgrounds, and some of these people are incredibly successful achievers in life. And one of the things I found very humbling myself is that, that these people are looking to me for leadership and guidance in these, in these situations. And, uh, and that's, that's a great honor, actually. Courage and humility, too, very, and discipline, uh, three yes. very yeah. important. You reminded me of, um, it's um, recently I saw my friend Will Swinton um, posted up some images of the Scots Guards on Mount Tumbledown in the 1982 Falklands War. 
Yes. And um, I was privileged enough to serve with the Scots Guards in 84 to 86 as a platoon commander uh, on attachment from the Royal Signals. And I, I talked to my platoon, those who'd been to the war, and, and they said it was surprising that some of the rogues, some of the people that everybody was dismissive of in peacetime, because they were yeah. always in trouble or in the guardroom getting locked up for doing something. When we were on the, the hill, the mountain, in a blizzard of snow at night, in there, you know, it was June, so it was, it was the, you know, Falklands winter. The depth of their winter, yes. Yeah. Uh, going up against the 5th Marine Battalion, who were well-trained, and people were dying and getting shot and killed, and some were scared and hiding behind rocks. It was surprising, as you say, walking a mile in someone else's shoes, you don't know how they'll behave, but the rogues turned out to be really good in a fight, <laughs> and yes. in a tough time. And there were one or two of the rather pompous officers who were not so fine and hid behind the rocks mm. and, and uh, have challenged people who've, called them out since then because they tried to tell a good story of how brave they were when actually the guardsmen the private soldiers knew who was brave and who yes. was a coward now saying as a coward is a bit strong of them to say that um no. they just perhaps didn't understand that that person was maybe a 19 year old platoon commander and was very mm -hmm. scared by what was going on but some other people were very fine in what they did and you never expect it so again time and again i have to relearn two things one is not to be judgmental about other people because I haven't walked in their shoes and I don't know their life. Yes. Who am I to judge anybody else with all my faults? God, got a mile of those. And then the other one is non-attachment. Mm. We get caught up with attachment to stuff and things and possessions. Yes. When you're out in the <clears throat> middle of a storm and an ocean on your little tiny boat around the world, you've got nothing really with you, a few no. items, and you yeah. could lose all that. Absolutely. Attached yeah. to the only thing you were attached to was a, a, a rope attaching you to your tiny boat, but you could lose all that as well. Yes. What, what did that teach you about a, a really healthy philosophy to life, about taking things in perspective and what does matter and what doesn't matter? Oh, very much living life in the moment, of course. Um, something we haven't discussed. I did when I was um, towards the end of my photographic career, when I realized that that the thing that I thought I would do for my whole life was, was coming to an end. And that was a very dark period of my life because I suddenly realized that actually I didn't know what I wanted to do anymore. Um, I had practiced an awful lot of yoga and I found that incredibly helpful, that quiet time by myself. Um, so uh, it, is, it is enormously difficult um, for, for people in, in testing times and you've just got to live in the moment and take each day as it, each day and each moment as it comes. And, and you, it really puts uh, the noise of life into perspective being out in the ocean. Yeah. Because uh, you, you have to respond all the time to the weather, a thing over which you have no control whatsoever. So life is continually changing. And yet you work in so many large corporates where change is the hardest thing of all. And that's where this pandemic will make a huge difference to businesses. Yeah. Because the, the change has been forced upon them. Uh, and a lot of good will come from it. But yeah. if you live in the moment, you can see through it. Because you know nothing lasts forever. And just like the weather, it'll change. Yeah. Uh, and also, I, I have a chain here, and, and um, we can't see it, but it says, memento mori, remember you're mortal. Um, yes. And that you could lead life right now. 
Uh, my father was a uh, naval officer killed when he was only 35. Yes. He didn't see that coming. He thought he had yeah. a full, full life. So I think it's a constant battle for me to be in the moment and be present. And I uh, tend to practice with, a, I tend to have a funny enough, a, a 30 minute power nap during the day, which I just had yes. one before we were on. Um, but also I do mindfulness as well, but a bit of meditation. And when I can, a couple of times a week, some yoga. And like you, I find that yeah. very healthy. What else do you find? I mean, J James described you as very fit and, and healthy. You have to be. <laughs> um, I need to have a word with James Bashel, I think. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you do to keep fit and healthy? And how do you manage your mental state? Because, you know, here you are. Your job is to be a skipper, kipper, a clipper, skipper. But yes. the pandemic stopped that. You're having to wait until you can right. stop again. How are you managing your mental health now at home and how are you keeping fit and, and what are you doing to, to be in the moment, to be present? Well, first of all, in, to be in isolation at home is, is, is nothing uh, particularly challenging for me. It, it was uh, my longest trip across the Atlantic single-handed was 55 days in a, in a tiny little boat that you couldn't stand up in. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like a solitary confinement in a way, but a self-imposed one. Whereas this one has been uh, imposed upon us, hasn't it? And I think that's the biggest challenge for most people is that they, it's not of their choice. It's, it's been forced upon them. And, uh, but for me, it's not difficult at all. And, and just, um, just knowing that actually relinquishing control, if you like, you know, letting go of the idea that you're in charge of your life and just allowing things to be for a, for a while is actually quite a powerful tool to play with. Um, and so, as I say, for me, it's easy, but for others, I'm sure it's a, it's a huge struggle, but just take each day as it comes. And, uh, I, I try to eat a healthy diet more than anything and yeah. walk every day. And, uh, I think everything in moderation. Yeah. So, sounds, yeah. sounds very good. And, and tell us a little bit, um, we've got about five minutes left or so. Tell us yeah. a little bit about your, your upbringing and how it shaped the, the leader you are today. What, what points do you want to highlight about who shaped you, teachers, whatever? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> well, the unfortunately, the, the one thing I do remember about my education is uh, as a child uh, is, is that I could not wait to get away from it. Um, and, 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 that, and that took me into photography, actually, because photography was my passion. It was my, what, what excited me at that time of my life. Um, and there were some uh, but all too few experiences of school where uh, I enjoyed a subject. And with the right, right amount of um, enthusiasm uh, and, uh, and encouragement from the right teacher, the right word at the right time, was made the world of difference. Because the moment I was happy and engaged in something, it, it made the learning effortless. And I think when you're, when you're in really in your own element, when you're in your own moment, that work itself it becomes tireless. It, it's you know it's it's not a burden it's an effortless process and uh and it, it when i look back on school I, I left school thinking that education wasn't for me and i've i've sin since learned otherwise because i'm now very much a teacher myself with with the dare to lead team teaching them mm -hmm. how to sail the boat mm -hmm. uh, and it is effortless when when you're surrounded by people who are enthusiastic engaged in what they're doing they they in, enjoy themselves and their their level of learning goes through the roof, and so I think the most that's the most formative part of my education was learning that I had to enjoy doing what I did to be really good at it, 
Mm. And that's the vocation side. Yeah. Uh, that, that taught me that vocations were, was what I had to follow. Yeah, yeah so. very, very wise. And, and um, last couple of thoughts was um, some of the proudest moments in your life and then share a few of the practical leadership tips that you'd pass on to people who are not yeah. at sea, but, but you've learned some good lessons people have passed on to you or you've read about them which work in real life about getting a team together and inspiring leadership in people. So first are your proudest moments and then your top, some of your top tips. Well, certainly the, one of the proudest moments for me was, uh, was arriving in Newport, Rhode Island after 55 days at sea and a capsize in a, an incredibly small boat. Um, and it was across the North Atlantic as well, which was, uh, you know, a, a crossing via the North of the Atlantic is, is the hardest of all. It's, not, it's the most difficult crossing you can make. Uh, so that was a that was a huge personal achievement for me. But in terms of achievement um, with with a team, I'm enormously proud of what Dare to Lead have achieved, because they they are sailing that boat themselves most of the time, and that that was always my personal goal for them that they would come out of this as good sailors, not just people who'd followed instructions from a skipper standing at the helm. And, and to see them now, there's, there are people on the boat without naming names. There's a, there's a particular lady who uh, has struggled and, and, and owned up in, in her life to, to having suffered from um, confidence issues um, and really, really struggled uh, with being working in teams of people and feeling good about herself. Self-esteem uh, was, a, was a big problem for her. And when you actually watch her, helming a 70-foot yacht with a Code 3 sailor, which is, a, which is a, a strong wind, downwind spinnaker. It's a big, powerful sail at two o'clock in the morning in pitch black in 30 and 35 knots of wind, and she's handling it. Okay, you know you've changed someone's life. And it's, you know, it's enormously, uh, it's humbling and it's enormously uh, empowering to see the change in people uh, and that, how that affects a whole team. Because it's not just not just myself that recognizes the change in that individual the whole team saw it and uh, it really brings the whole team along yeah and and talking about uh individuals i i'd have to hear more about james bashel so there he was a lieutenant general yes with a very successful career in the army and uh and then he decides to go and do a leg as a crew member that's right in charge not the leader at all What, what did you notice about him uh as a member of the team that you admired and tell me a good funny story that I can rib him about. <laughs> well, he's already told you one funny story, hasn't he? About him uh, thinking that he was perhaps a little bit better on the helm than he, than he actually was, bless him. Um, but his, his strength, of course, is his very um, personal skills. Okay. His own humility, because you, you would not know his rank in the military if you were on board Dare to Lead. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was, it was something you had to dig around to find out. It wasn't out there uh, for, on show for the world to see. A very, a very humble individual, a, a great team player. He, he, could, he could read people and understand who was struggling, and he had the right word for them at the right time. And that's, that's enormously powerful as well. And uh, to, to understand people without judging them and to offer them help when they might just need it the most uh, is, a, is a great skill. And he's, uh, he's, he spent a lot of time sewing as well. I'm sure you, you didn't know he had sewing skills, did you? Um, 
<laughs> I'll let him tell you about that one day. Okay, that's great. So finally, let's end with thank you for that. And uh, very nice of you to give James those accolades. He deserves them. Um, what about two or three top tips? Simple, quick top tips that are really about good leadership and you've learned them and you'd pass them on to others. Yeah, well, so the first one, of course, is, is to be human above all else. Okay, and, and what I mean, I don't mean put, put on a human face. I mean, you've got to really be human. And the only way to do that is to be completely honest with people. Okay, so, and these, these I think I've got probably three things that I'd like to say about this. Uh, and that's, that's clearly one of them. The, they're all interrelated. And the other one is that, is to, to be honest about what you don't know and what you can't do. Okay, and that nothing will encourage people in your team to step forward and help you, knowing that they have those skill sets that you have clearly shown that you don't have. Okay, and that way you will you will learn and you will grow as an individual. You'll grow grow their respect enormously, um, and also as part of that process, it's also a process of stepping back and allowing other people to step forward. Um, Sometimes when you admit that you don't know something or you don't know how a thing is going to work out, that someone else does know and they can step forward and give them the limelight if you like. Um, so, um, and, and of course, what I learned from my, from my big mistake in the Southern Ocean is just as you step back and allow others to step forward, just remember that you're perfectly, uh, there's a right time for you to step back in when the time really comes and, uh, and lead the team on again before the next occasion when you step back and allow them to work together as a team. Yeah, great advice. Well, um, it's been an absolute joy. Guy Waits. Thank you, John. Skipper Skipper, thank you very much indeed. I wish you every success. Thank um, you. And continue to inspire and train and develop people. So thank you for your time. Thank you. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.